0: Welcome to the Potscast. Welcome back, listeners, to the podcast. It is MMA mayhem this month on the podcast. I'm Darren Potts. I will be your host throughout this series of podcasts this month. My guest today, amazing story from London to Australia, setting up his own gym to then setting up a program which has gone throughout the world. It's called Wimp to Warrior. My guest today is Richie Craney. He is the president and the founder of Wimp to Warrior. He is the president of IMAF Australia. Amazing guest, phenomenal mentality, a tremendous work rate. You'll find out on this podcast there's nothing that happened or nothing that came through his journey that came easy. Everything was hard work, blood, sweat and tears and consistency, discipline. Amazing story! I can't put into words how inspired I was just talking to Richie. You gotta to listen to it for yourself. But just before we get there, give me a follow: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube at the podcast. That way you won't miss anything on any of the upcoming podcasts. UK head coach Wim to Warrior Martin Stapleton. His episode will be out within the next week. Keep your eyes out for that episode. It's outstanding. Jeremy Strobel Jr. He's preparing for a fight. He trains with Duke Rufus in Rufus Sport in Wisconsin. That episode will be available shortly. The first episode of MMA Mayhem was Jimmy Colleen, domestic violence advocate. She came through hell with her ex-partner. She got out. She is a professional MMA fighter. She has won gold at King of the Cage phenomenal story check out that podcast as well but without further ado let's get to today's guest the one and only Richie Craning and look out for the podcast debut of Cooper we're back on the pupcast let's get to it five four
1: three two one
0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It is MMA Mayhem here on the podcast. Of course, I'm here, Darren Potts, hosting the podcast. And I'm joined today with the founder and the president of Wimp to Warrior, amongst other things. It is Richie Critty. Richie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for accepting the invitation.
1: No worries, Champ. It's always good to chat to MMA fans.
0: I'm excited, really excited for this one. We were talking just before we went live of a friend who went through the Wimp to Warrior program. He loved it, and I'm really excited to try and pick your brain a little bit today. But what I want to know right at the very start, because obviously you're passionate about the MMA world, passionate about MMA in general, and all forms of mixed martial arts. But I want to know what drew you to martial arts? What started that, let's call it a love affair, this passion for MMA? Where did it begin for you?
1: Um, Well, it it started with boxing. I went to a, a Catholic school in West London, um, where, I, where I grew up. And um, I wasn't really drawn to, to regular sport, soccer and or football. Um, it, it just didn't really appeal to me. And um, I was always had that concern when I was going to senior school at age 11, that, you know, you're going to get bullied or, you know, you, I always wanted to be able to look after myself. Um, I'd always, I've been in a few scraps, but it's always just protecting myself, you know, just growing up in a pretty rough area of, of West London so um, as soon as I saw boxing at my at the school I signed up so I did that and my, <clears throat> it was an old school um, school in that if you had a fight in the playground the teachers would drag you back into the sports hall put gloves on you and you'd settle it in the boxing ring so that that's the way that you know we did things at our school so um, it became kind of um, a way to to settle arguments or, or whatever. So it, it, that that kind of started me on my combat journey. Um, but once I left school, um, you know, I just went through the reckless teenage years of cars and girls and clubs and stuff. And, um, but I tried, I looked at a, a few different martial arts back then, but, you know, it was all karate or taekwondo or, you know, kung fu, there was, there, there was no MMA back then anyway. There wasn't even jujitsu in, in London back then. And to, uh, to go from what I considered being taught how to punch properly to then being retrained to throw punches from your hip in straight motions and none of it made sense to me. Um, And it wasn't until I was 19, um, a very good friend of mine who I went to school with, her her brother um, just opened a club and um, he had this new form of martial art that was, it was called Choi, which is derivative of Taekwondo, but Master Choi, he separated from Taekwondo back in the day, he went to the US um, and studied sports science for several years and basically turned um, what his knowledge of Taekwondo into a street form of martial arts where um, they use a lot of sequential movements, flowing movements, but um, trying to get the maximum amount of power out of every technique. Um, so you could finish a fight in the street in one move rather than 10 moves. So, was the science behind it and the theory behind it so i went along to that and absolutely fell in love with it and then um, that was it and that martial art has pretty much evolved the same same martial arts same people to what i do today um some what's that i was 19 i'm just turned 50 so you can do the math it's uh 31 years but so we that style we had clinch work and striking And the striking we do in MMA now is pretty much the same as we did back then. We were very, we were very, um, um, what's the word? Advanced, I guess. And um, we broke away from all the traditional forms of martial arts um, back then. But then obviously the wrestling and the grappling, um, we started working on in the mid nineties, you know, when we first started seeing the UFCs um, and the devastation that the Gracie's had on on these big guys and um there was a seminar in london and a couple of the graces came over and this was have been um about 96 i think maybe 97 maybe 96 anyway and they invited black belts from all different styles to come down and there was different um coaches instructors and you go around and train with different forms and um we just basically myself and my two other friends that were also black belts in our style we stayed with the graces all day and and from that point, we just started learning all the grappling and the wrestling, and, and then we incorporated that. And um, in 2000, we formed what was called now ProMai in the UK, which is, it was I believe, it was the first true mixed martial art system um, where we have everything in, incorporated into a martial art. And that's still what I basically teach. Um, and that's all those techniques are basically what made up the Winter Warrior program as well. All those
0: years later see whenever you sort of fell in love with with boxing and then you began to progress it into various forms of mma and and everything and it was kind of all taking off for you and you began that to have that real passion for it obviously i'm from belfast so i know like people are passionate about football you mentioned mm. it in high, uh, when you were over home people are passionate about football was it a very sort of small niche market, I suppose, at the time in London? And for your decision to kind of pursue this, how was that received by friends and family at the time?
1: Um, not so much the martial arts field because martial arts was popular. But um, I mean, when, when we were doing it, the, the, the word MMA, the phrase MMA wasn't even used. I remember the first time someone mentioned it, because oh, we used to hybrid training, we we're just putting everything together. Um, and someone said, "Oh, they're going to call it mixed martial arts now." And I was like, "That I never take off. It's too long. They need to shorten it." To shorten it. But I think um, I, no one ever really questioned it. Um, I think I think my parents and my family were um, were relieved, I guess, that I had a passion and I had some focus. Because when I left school, I had a terrible time at school. I had learning difficulties. I had undiagnosed dyslexia and some other stuff, and I basically left school with, with nothing, um, very disheartened. I had no self-esteem um, and martial arts. You know, as soon as I started training the martial arts, it just, I guess, finding something I was suddenly good at after failing at school, um, I put everything into it. And the people around me saw that, I guess, and, and they all supported me. Um, so I, I didn't really come up against any um, questions about what I was doing it was more about support, which was, which was great.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things, which I think is great, you know, you mentioned West London and it was a bit of a rough area when you were growing up and things like that. Would, would this have taken away your focus from all the craziness that goes on in and around the city? Were you so fixated on, on, on improving? And obviously that's, that's worked out well for you in your life. And when I've talked to various fighters, they all have talked about discipline and I love hearing different people's opinions on discipline. In terms of different characteristics that people need to be successful in, in this world, where does discipline rank, in your opinion?
1: It's definitely in the top two or three, 100%. Uh, martial arts, the, the discipline that, that martial arts instills in people is, is huge. And it, and it helps you in every, every, every um, evolution or every chapter of your life. Um, It was definitely something that I had no discipline, you know, Um, I was very, very rebellious at school. Um, The two of my closest friends when I was I grew up at school are both still in prison today. One got involved in different stuff and ended up murdering someone um, and another guy just a different path. But, you know, I could definitely see that, you know, without this focus and and this positive What's the word? Um, just, just something that I could really focus on uh, and 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 guide me, if you like. It was a pathway that I'd never, I didn't have any positive pathways in my life, um, and I'm lucky that another one of my close friends who we used to hang with, he got into it as well, and then we just, we just trained together all the time, and you know, even when we weren't training, we'd we'd go out to a bar, we'd be talking about training. It, it became it became um, an obsession, you know, my, my wife of now, you know, I met her when I was 21 and she always talks about the pecking order, you know, in, in my life, it was martial arts, my dog, and then my wife. <laughs> and uh, I don't think that's necessarily true, but it, it has to be that way. I think if you're going to be successful in anything in life, I think you have to have um, one commitment, which is a, one of the the other big things for me, um, and and the biggest thing I think, you know, there's three big things I think is, is commitment, discipline, and also um, not being afraid of failure, you know, giving you that that um, that knowledge that you can embrace failure rather than steering away from it, because um, I think that's the biggest thing, Winter Warrior, and I'm sure we talk about that separately, is, is that gives people, is, is it takes away that fear of of, of stepping out of their comfort zone because martial arts, you, I came from a belt system and you basically, the belt system is, the system is designed to teach you how to fight. You fail as your white belt, you fail, you fail and then suddenly you start getting better and you, and you win as a white belt, inspiring or whatever. And then you get drawn into your next belt and then you fail for months until you get to a point. And then this goes on and on and on. And even when you get to black belt as a coach as well it's the same thing, You know, you learn from your failures. And um, that's a massive thing that, that martial arts gave me. And it's something that I really try and instill in my kids as well.
0: One of the, one of the major topics in terms of when you feel quite often, you need that resilience to get back up and get at it again. So when you said you've like different belt classes, you feel eventually you get it right and so on and so forth. Maybe what motivated you to keep going and for you as a coach how do you motivate people that are maybe struggling with something, I'd say a white belt or whatever, to keep on pursuing that next goal?
1: I think it's, it's hard to categorize because it's such a personal thing, you know, and, it, and if you're talking about classes of hundreds or students in gyms, it's hard, but I always try and isolate that person and, and talk to them about, you know, it, there'd be something in their past that's affecting the now, um, because that's the way it always happens is you know they think it's a particular technique that they're failing on but it's something in their past that's that's reflected in the now of what they're trying to achieve and it's and it's given them some negative thoughts or or you know the the voice in the head is saying this is too hard and you know just discussing things and and I find having such a an up and down and checkered past people always look at what I've achieved now in my life but I've had so many failures in my life and having that conversation with that someone from a coach explaining the things that I messed up with or things that I couldn't achieve and failed, But that is always something I think that will, will help and assist and maybe not right at that second, but it gives them something to reflect on when they get home or they're in the car. Um, because most people, they see when they fail at something in a class, it's only them that's ever had that problem. You know, you need to explain to them this is just part of the path. This is the process, and and these failures are what's going to make you a stronger person down the line. And I think that's the key is, It's not thinking that there's a like John Cavanaugh famously says, "You win all you learn," um, and that's that's such an important lesson. Um, and I always try and tell my guys, you know, in the sparring class, it's the guys that that really have a shit time and and get their asses handed to them. You know, get people rip off their gloves and. Get, get the ass storm out. They're the ones that are going to learn from that particular class. It's not the ones that, that you know, had the upper hand at every, every training session. It's, it's trying to turn the negative into a positive. And that's, like I said, that's one of the things that martial arts teaches you, but not everyone gets it straight away. And once you instill that into them, then they can kind of self-coach themselves.
0: It's, it's, it's an incredible learning experience. And I say that from a firsthand experience when I went in, I've always been incredibly athletic and quite fit cardiovascular wise and all that sort of stuff. And I signed up for kickboxing and this'll be fun, done really well for the first couple of months. Coach sends me to a corner at the end of every class and says, you just stretch. And I was like, why am I being the only one to stretch? And I thought I'm nuts and I'm not good enough. And it was really just my flexibility was holding me back. And you're kind of in that bubble where you don't see the wood for the trees. And you're like, this is going to help me long term. And that learning experience, even to this day, going in there as like a very good soccer player thinking, oh, this will be really easy. And all of a sudden being humbled to be sitting in a corner, (laughs) stretching. I think it's an amazing learning experience. And for you as a coach, when you see somebody come in and begin to progress and begin to go up through the the levels and the stages and get better and better, and you see it having that impact Mm -hmm. on your life, that must give you the satisfaction as a coach to know that you're doing something good for someone in a very indirect way, because I'm sure you've had to
1: give out a few harsh lessons in your time as well. Yeah, no, it is. It's, um, it's an extremely satisfying uh, position to be as a coach and, and the Win to warrior program, it, it kind of, it multiplies that sensation of, of that you get as a coach of, uh, that return of because if you think about when, when we're talking about belt systems and training people you you know you you get people come into your class as a as a coach and you know people fall fall away for different reasons and but it's such a long journey this there's, there's stages where you you can see them progress and you think that's amazing or they get a particular technique or they win a competition but with winter warrior you've, you're talking about a group of people that come in with zero absolutely nothing they can't even do a forward role most of them you know and then in twenty weeks' time, they're stepping into a cage. It amplifies everything. It amplifies the failure and the anxiety, but it also amplifies um, the the sensation of, of that they get and you get as a coach of satisfaction and and being able to achieve something they never thought was achievable just twenty weeks ago. Such a small amount of time, and it and it magnifies everything. But yeah, it's. it's for me i'm i'm very privileged in that the i feel that i have this um i i can i it's a it's a weird one to talk about but you know from from coaching and went to warrior full-time and when the business got to a point where um i was traveling so much going to new gyms in the us and canada and uk ireland and um i had to give my gym up basically because i i couldn't I'm very much all or nothing. And I couldn't, if I can't give to the people on the mats what, what I feel that they deserve, then I'd rather just not do it. So that was a very hard decision for me to make. And I still miss having my own gym. And, you know, I still, in my head, talk, think about opening another gym at some point. But being able to um, know that I can still have that influence on people's lives, even though I'm not on the mats with them, but knowing that they're doing a program that I created nine years ago, um, I still get that sensation of, of achievement. And it's not the same, but it's, it's still um, something that I really cherish. And I get a lot of emails and messages from people all the time from all around the world that you know they talk about their story and, and where they were before went and where they are now. And it's 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 very rewarding. So I'm very privileged.
0: Yeah. I mean, we talked about it before we hit record. I have a friend who went through the program and it really changed how he does not just sport, but life because yeah. of the dip, the, the teaching of discipline, the teaching of, you know, trusting in, in others and yourself when you're training and lots of other experiences. And he was, he was telling me even today, you know, those lessons that he learned, he still uses those in all aspects of his life. And I think maybe more than anything that's that's an amazing statement to make all coming down from you know like training and the art of discipline and the art of learning from a particular sport and you obviously emigrated then to australia was that anything to do with with your job with work or what was the reasoning on on deciding to go to australia just um
1: australia has always been somewhere that i've wanted to visit and i came over and i did a had a a year off and um Come over and did the whole backpacking thing, um, and just fell in love with Australia. Um, so you know, brought my wife over, and we 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 stayed another year. And I was teaching over here. I was teaching a, a local PCYC, it's like a YMCA kind of club in Sydney. Um, and then we just we just decided this is where we'd like to have a family and bring our kids up. Um, so yeah, we went through the whole. Um, process of applying for residency and going back to UK and then getting visas and um, three-year process but 2003 we moved full-time to um, to Sydney Had a thousand dollars in our bank account <laughs> living in a shared house um, but yeah I mean it wouldn't change it for the world we absolutely love where we live um, we don't live in Sydney we're about 90 minutes north on a coastal town it's it's literally the opposite of where I grew up Literally, it is not just the weather, but the lifestyle, and my kids—they've just got. I, I look at them sometimes, and when they complain about something, I say, I think, you're a "Little shit, you have no idea how lucky you are." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I, it's, I, I, it's a I, I, country, and, and it's one of those countries that because it's still relatively new, and you know the population, if if you graft and you and you really put your head down and work towards something you can really make something of yourself in Australia. And um, that really appealed to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The the friend that I talked about, he, he done the programme in Brisbane and um, no, it wasn't Brisbane. Sorry, I'm totally wrong. It's Melbourne. He done it in Melbourne. Okay, yeah. Melbourne. Um, and, and he had a great time there. Um, if he says things don't work out for him in Canada, he's back to Australia. That was, uh, he told me that today. But let's talk a little bit about Wimp to Warrior. Now, You know, you've mentioned it in passing, You're the president, the founder. Where did the idea come from? And tell any of my listeners who maybe don't know what this program is, tell them a little bit about what it actually does, um, what what they will learn, and what goes on behind the scenes.
1: Sure. So the program is a a 20-week program, so five months of training, um, where you train five mornings a week, early morning. So the, the idea of early mornings, and I say early, is early. I always used to do five a.m. till six thirty. Some gyms do six a.m., but the idea is that it's a time in your day where you can commit. And we have a hat, social media hashtag whilst you are sleeping, so there's no excuses. If you try and get someone to train for five months every evening, they're not going to do it. Work commitments, you know, family birthdays. It's it just whereas this is, you just get your ass out of bed early, and the idea being is. You take someone with, with no or little experience in, in martial arts or mixed martial arts, and we train them like a professional fight camp. So the first half of the training program is we teach them all the fundamental movements of MMA and understanding while doing lots of strength and conditioning work. So basically getting their body to a point where it can take impact and start live drilling. And then the second phase they go into, they, they start live drills and then sparring, and then we get them to a point where they can walk out um, and compete in one of our, our events, which is a sanctioned amateur mixed martial arts event. Um, it's a, it's an amazing program and it's, it, it's, it, it does so much more than people think they think people sign up cause they think, Oh, you know, I'd love to do mixed martial arts or I'd love to step in the cage, but um, most people that sign up the program, especially in Australia have heard about it and they've seen or heard or witness transformations and not just physical, but as we mentioned before, it's the mental transformations that people have. And people see these their friends, family members, or co-workers come through this program and then completely change the way they live their life. And it, they're so much more positive and upgoing and confident. Um, and that's what the program does. But the, going back to where I started it is, um, I had a, I opened a really nice gym in Sydney back in 2008 um, it was called Platinum Extreme it was the first um white collar if you like of like a. now you wouldn't even think twice of it. you're going to MMA gyms especially in Australia and you know they're they're like a, a regular gym you they're, they're clean and you have showers and you have changing areas that that wasn't the case back then there was just you know there was just places where you go to smelly mats and you know it, it, it's just the, the I was trying to bring new people into the sport of MMA. And um, to do that, I thought, well, I have to have a facility where white-collar workers would feel comfortable coming training, knowing that it's a clean environment, great coaches, showers. They can have lockers, change, and go to work. So I started this, this gym, um, and it was great. I mean, it was good, but we it was never we're always that struggle of trying to break even every single month because the people that came through the door loved it. But trying to get, trying to expand the demographic of, of, of our potential customers was so hard because of the image of the sport, you know. Um, the UFC hadn't come to Australia at that point. Um, it came, I think, two years later and the UFC came and, and did their, um, because my gym was the premier, best gym in Australia, they came come and did the open workouts, UFC open workouts at my gym and all the fighters were there. and. And I thought this will be it, this is gonna get people through the door, but it doesn't happen. And then you know, you have one of your fighters and he wins national title and you put that up in your social media, you think people are gonna be queuing up around the door now, and it doesn't happen because it's it's such a small demographic, back then especially that that were watching MMA and then even smaller that actually wanna step in and, and do it. So I was always struggling trying to find the right solution to market what I had on offer. Knowing if I had someone that comes through the door, they would absolutely love it. But how do I get them through the door? So, um, yeah, one day I was having treatment on my back and um, I was having acupuncture and I was laying down. my brain was going a million miles an hour. How am I going to do this? You know, I need to get another hundred members. And then I just thought that it's, I just, I'm just, i just going to train one person and, and, and train them for five months and try and dismiss the, um, the stigma that people have around someone that that might want to compete in mixed martial arts so take the most extreme view of of mma which is someone that steps in the cage and fights if i can demonstrate that anyone can do that then the rest should be easy you know because the rest are just classes if someone can do that and step in the cage and fight so i went back to the to my gym and i was chatting to one of my coaches and i said look i'm going to do this program i trained one person um, did it for six months back then, six months. I won't charge them a cent, um, but we're documenting and they have to agree at the end of it that they'd step in the cage and do an amateur fight. So I put it on Facebook and we had over 400 people email in the first week saying, I want in, I want in, I want in. So that's how it started. Um, A lot of those people were obviously just messaging because the training was free back then. Um, but I I didn't want to train, I didn't want to charge anyone for something that was unproven. So, you know, I I spoke to my other coaches and said, look, you know, I'll pay you your wages being in my gym, but this is extra work. Um, And they all agreed to do it. And um, I wasn't sure it was going to work until the finale. Um, I was a very nervous coach that night because, you know, I know from, you know, 20 years of coaching that you can have someone that's a gun on the mat you know, and, and it's confident, but then you put them in front of the lights and you have a few hundred people watching and they can just fall apart. You know, the the mental strength and fortitude you need is way more important than the physical when you go to compete. Now there's a saying it's fighting is 90% mental and 10% physical, and that's so true. So taking them to their first finale, it was sold out. where well, I had, had some local media there and I was just so nervous trying to trying to hide my nerves from the athletes, my, my guys, because I wanted to pump them up. But it wasn't until the very first fight that, you know, my nerves started to to ease because they came out and they just they just threw bombs and every single fight was the same. They all came out excited and pumped up and then from now I thought this is this could be something really special. And everyone that finished it um, contacted me after and the weeks after and saying that how much it had changed their life. And this is something that they, they want everyone around them to do. And I was thinking this could, this isn't just about MMA. This is about, this can really help a lot of people. Um, and also in that same same formula, we, it's a, an opportunity to put MMA into a, into a different pigeonhole of not just about people that want to fight, but some, something that can actually help people in their life and overcome all sorts of problems. I mean, the amount of different backgrounds that have done the program over the years is, is ridiculous. So that's, that's how it started. And then from there I run a few more programs in my gym. Um, the third series was filmed. Um, I got, um, I did a deal with a local production company and put some more money into it. And that was aired on Fox sports one over here in Australia. And that got a lot of, um, tons wagging as well. Um, and then, um, the biggest kind of trigger was when John Cavanaugh came and in, come involved. So, um, we had a couple of my guys, a lot of Irish obviously in, in, in Australia, and they were going home and telling their friends and their gyms about Winter Warrior. And John heard about it and he was, he absolutely loved it. And yeah, and now we're in um, eight countries and we've got over 80, 80 gyms running the program. And it's, um, it's amazing, but it definitely hasn't been an easy easy transition there's been a, a lot of struggle around this program um, you know we we are where we are now because myself and the people around me have have done a lot of hard grafting and a lot of sleepless nights and because you know i don't want people to think that that this kind of success comes easy because it's not you know it's, there's um it's had a lot of challenges but i wouldn't change a thing you know it's, it's an amazing program to be involved with um, and it's opened a lot of doors for me and and the sport of MMA as well.
0: I think it's something that's synonymous with MMA in general is yeah. struggle and hard work, picking yourself off the mat, the consistency that's needed to succeed and then just the having to keep going and keep going and keep going. So two questions for you based on what you've just told me. Where did the name come from? That's, that's mm-hmm. the first one. I want to know where Wimp the Warrior came from. If, if there's a story behind that, I want you to share that story. And then, secondly, once you've seen it work that first time, you ran a couple more sessions off it before it really exploded. Did you have the vision for it to explode, or did it really just take wings and go?
1: Okay, two good questions. Number one, wings to And I get asked this a lot, um, and and I think it's it's been it's it's kind of it's been good and bad. The, the, the name one. So I came up with it. It was literally it just fired into my head. I got back from um my back drink and i was chatting to my coach the other coach about it i said when well, we we'll train someone and it just came up i'm going to call it winter warrior and we're like i'm going to call it winter warrior and then i literally went and i looked it up in the in the oxford dictionary and i thought well, you know wimp mm, people are going to sign up but when you look at the definition of wimp, it talks about someone that doesn't have the mental strength to um look for change in their life um, and when struggle comes they they walk away or find a different pathway and I thought that's perfect because that's what we're going to instill in people. You know, we want to change people's minds, strengthening their minds and, and the warrior thing is the obvious, you know, it's, it's having that warrior mentality of being able to, to walk through fire if you something you believe in. Um, so that's where the name come from. I've had people come to me sometimes, you know, Oh, you know, I'm not a whip, you know, I'm not signed up to that. You know, that's fine because that's, that's, that's ego talking. If you, if you've, if you're full of ego and you can't sign up to something like we've had people that are special forces and army and ex-police and do this program you know it's you've got to look past something like that and I think it's become kind of a almost a filter for us that we don't get those guys coming in full of ego wanting to to do this because they see it as a fast track to their first fight it's people that really want change and and I love it I love the name and I think um, and to see people embrace it as well, and they walk around with their shirts, Winter Warrior shirts, and have their logo. So yeah, that that's where it came from, and it's and it's stuck. You know, we call it the Warrior Training Program, but the business is is Winter Warrior. You know, it's, it's changing people's people's lives from that wimp mentality into a warrior mentality. Um, and the second question is, did I think vision? I'm I'm a big one for vision, so I had a when I opened my first gym, I had a vision board. When I came up with Winter Worry, I created a vision board. <clears throat> and on that vision board, I put things that you know, for instance, I had the TV, I had a TV um, and I <laughs> picked the TV and and it had Winter Warrior written on it. And I put that, and I had no, no thought or or, um, or um, plan of, of having it as a TV show back then. I just thought it's, people are gonna love this. It's gonna become a TV show. Um, I had a vision of of Luna Park which was the place where um, the big MMA promotions in Australia would go to and if you if you sold out Luna Park it was a massive success and I had that sold out and I did that in my second series so I did all these things and but I never I never thought that it would be a program that's run in almost a hundred gyms around the world. That was, never, that was never my vision. And that's become a, a massive blessing because you know, I, 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 I've always been, you know, been a mixed martial arts since it began, but I'm also a fan of the sport. Um, and GSP was, for instance, was, was my favorite athlete back in the day. And, um, and the day that if someone had told me when I first started the program that, you know, this program is going to be in TriStar, I'd be like, shut up. There's no, joking, <laughs> you know, and then to, to you know, a few years later when Connor explodes so, say, you know, Connor's gonna do a video and you're gonna be, this could be running in with John Kavanaugh, I'll be like, you're talking out of your ass. It's it's just, <laughs> I've never had that, but you know, it's the, the industry's embraced it because it's it's so good for if went to Warrior. There's not a, a negative that comes out of this program. You know, so many corporate businesses, you know. They, they look at their optics, uh, the scaling, want to get to this, 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 you know, we'll have to make some people redundant here, you know, this is going to have a, an adverse effect on this industry, but, you know, we need to get to our goals. In Winter Warrior, everyone in the industry is better off because you've got more people coming into the sport at grassroots, fall in love with the sport, whether they keep training or not they're going to become fans and they're probably going to watch it and go and support local shows. Um, we have, a, an 80%, um, retention as an average for people at the end of the program, joining that gym that starts the, the, the program. So apart from building members, we're also monetizing gyms massively, you know, it's, especially through this COVID, you know, we've, there's so many gyms that I deal with that, been on struggle street and and i know for a fact off the top of my head i can name three or four that i know if it wasn't for winter warrior wouldn't have been able to open their doors again um because it, it literally monetizes their their gym throughout the year so it's i never had the vision of the what we call the b2b the business to business it was always about people into the sport that was my vision of getting more and more people but it's become um a very special part of, of the program and me being able to travel and, and be on the mats of these sacred gyms that I, I came through as a as a student looking up to and coaches. So here's my puppy. He's just about to pull my cord out. Come here, i
0: We've got to get the pup on the on the podcast. That is now the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. There we go. That's <laughs> oh, <Yeah>.
1: he's beautiful. <laughs> um, he likes cords. I just felt my cord and my computer being chewed um so yeah look it's it's um it's been a, a complete blessing and sometimes i still nine years later i still have those pinch myself moments you know and um I, like i say I, I do feel very blessed about the whole thing it's um it's been an amazing experience an amazing journey for me and and the people that work with me as well from from years back now
0: i think one of the biggest things with mma is the con- the growth rate and the, how, how it's growing every year. It's exploding yeah. year on year. And I, I mentioned them originally from just outside Belfast in Northern Ireland and growing up the only sort of mixed martial art, it was like the local church group or the local leisure center running a karate yeah. lesson a week. Um, yeah. and now whenever I go home, I've got guys like, um, friends of mine, like Reese McKee, who has fought in the UFC and he's got his own gym. And then you've got like, um, sbg in dublin that john kavanagh's part of and it's really exploding in ireland and cage warriors uk and bama and all that stuff and as a fan i love it and you've (laughs) mentioned there yourself you know being a fan and obviously being able not just to watch the sport but contribute to it and contribute to it in such a positive manner in terms of you've mentioned quite a lot we've touched on it slightly is the mindset and um mindset for me in terms of martial arts and i've i've done kickboxing i've done a little bit of muay thai or muay thai and muay thai broke me I, <laughs> I left that a broken man and it really does take that mindset to go that was tough and i struggled but i've got to go back yes. and with the wimp to warrior program how hard are the are the guys and the girls pushed in this
1: program it's 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 weird to 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 hear this but and the hot, one of the hardest things about the program is, and I talk to people about this all the time, is literally swinging your bed your legs out of bed at four a.m. and and that's such an integral part of the program is because I say to people, you know, <clears throat> anyone can go training when the sun is shining, you know, you feel energized and you're excited and you know you've had a great day and you go down to the gym and everything's buzzing, but to swing your legs out of bed and like some of the places. Uh, Ireland included and Canada and it's minus 10 or something and they're chipping ice off their windscreens at <laughs> 5 a.m. to get to the gym. That's tough. That's tough. And then the training on top. So <clears throat> the training itself is tough. And the program that I designed, you know, and, and still run is it's it's done, it's a three-phase program in terms of <clears throat> the content, also the progression. And it's not just physical progression, it's it's mental progression as well. So we we purposely don't challenge them, and we don't talk about the fight and the finale and sparring um, at the first stage. It's all about just basically inducting them into the world of martial arts, teaching them, you know, the etiquette, you know, bowing and, and being on time and the discipline, um, and and the movement patterns and building them physically, and then you start just dropping in. Talking the coach's job is is to talk about you know. The upcoming finale at different stages. Um, and then you build them up to live sparring, live, live drilling and, and then into sparring. But the program is done specifically into build them up, not just like, say, physically, but mentally as well. Because I've had a, a series, this is years back now, but um, that they basically, they come on and there was a, it was a gym full of guys that were up and coming, a few of them in the UFC and, You know, they thought, oh, you know, we know what to do with fighters. And we gave them like 40 people to start a big series. And after, I think, nine weeks, they had like, it was in the teens. It was like 17, 18 people left. And it's because they hadn't followed the program. Um, Their inexperience as a coach thought they have to excite people. And because they love sparring, everyone should love sparring. And they just weren't mentally ready and people just didn't come back. So the program is tough and but it's done in such a way that they don't realize how tough they're becoming on a daily basis you know just going back to swing their legs out of bed every single day you know committing to something that it's tough you know your partner saying you know stay in bed let's have a cuddle just have a day off but you can't you have to turn up and it's and it's the days that i tell people that you know they wake up and they're sore and they've bruised rib or their knees sore and that's the days normally you'd say, I'm just gonna have a day off, but you don't. You turn up regardless. And they make you mentally tougher. And you don't realize it, but it's this you're just building blocks, building blocks. Um, and to a point where they get to finale and they hear their walkout music, the nerves disappear and they come out charging and they're excited they, they want to get in there and fight. And that's such a transformation. But the so the program, there's there's like I say, there's lots of stages and and yeah, there's, there's days where it is tough. You know, that we, we have conditioning days on a Friday where we do five minute rounds, um, the strength condition on Tuesdays, you know, the 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 technical sessions aren't as tough in the first few weeks because you're learning basic movements. But once you start live drilling, you know, and you start putting all the elements together, it, it becomes very challenging. But you know, it's you're not going to get the rewards of this program at the end of it if it's not challenging, if it doesn't take you out of your comfort zone. And that's and I think the fact with Winterware as well, if you if you try to do this with an individual, it'd be very hard to keep that person motivated. But when you're in a class of 20, 30, 40 people and everyone's having the struggle, you know, it's, it's that old saying that, you know, rising tide lifts all ships, you know, you'll get a few people that are on struggle street on one day and the rest will pick them up, you know, and and when those people are having a bad day, the, the others will return the favor. And and I think that they they, they become such a tight knit group, um, that they all, they, they all, they're accountable to each other, you know? And I always say, you know, you can't do this without training partners. If you're, if you take a day off, your training partner can't train. So it's, it it does teach people accountability as well as discipline. So yes, the program's tough. Um, and, but people thank, thank us for it at the end, you know, and it's, and that's what the transformation's about, you know, people, whether it's weight loss or you know just change their body totally but it's it's coming out friends and family can't believe when they see their these siblings or whatever walk out just Vaseline up and walking into a cage and pumped up and it's like who the hell is this person you know this um it's crazy i get goosebumps when i talk about it it's it's an amazing experience
0: i think you know i i can i would say to an extent I could say I understand from a coaching of soccer level more so to the the extent of I've told someone what to do at practice or um, when I'm coaching some kid and they do it in a match and score a goal and I feel like I've won the world cup I can just imagine how you feel from a coaching standpoint in a in a much greater scale when you're seeing person after person after person after person and the really cool thing is as much as there's 40 people or 30 people and all across the eight countries in the world doing this every single one of them is an individual and that individual is going out into their world when they're in their own world with this renewed mindset this transformed mindset this new way of looking at things and it's just i think it's just a, a crazy cool unique thing and what i want to talk about now is just a little bit about just the growth of mma in general and, um, you know, people always talk about the UFC and UFC is the, is, is the big header, I suppose. But, mm. you know, you look at LFA is doing really well and Bellator and so many other things And the, as we talked about the UK and Ireland, it's exploding. Um, Ronda Rousey, for example, really put it on the map for women. Conor McGregor really opened a lot of people's eyes, especially in, in Ireland and in Northern Ireland, where I'm from. How important is it that when these, I would say once in a generation type stars come along, that we, I don't know, I wouldn't say back them, I suppose, but embrace them because they're bringing eyes to the product and more eyes to the product and more fans. For someone like you who's involved in the MMA world every single day, how good, how cool, how unique is it to see the growth of the sport over the last lot of years?
1: Yeah, look, it is, is, and I think um, I always separate the two from the professional side, and and what I don't see the professional side of MMA, um, the athletes as the sport. I see the amateur side and the students in gyms. Um, <clears throat> that's the way I, I always look at it, and it's it's something that I talked about a lot. Not so much now, but one of the key things for Winter Warrior is showing people that can do it is growing up in the UK. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't look at David Beckham, for instance, and go, I'm never going to be as good as him. So I'm never going to kick a ball around the park. You, you do it anyway. You, there was a grassroots part of the sport. And then you had a progression system. You could then go to Sunday league and then progress in there. And if you wanted to, then you could. And But with MMA, it's always been a sport that was basically um, built upside down. It was professional and then a bit of amateur and there's nothing underneath. Um, and with MMA, you, you, people would look at Conor McGregor or a female would look at Ronda Rousey and go, I could never do that in a cage. So they don't have that, well, I'm just going to train anyway. It was like, I can't do that, so I'm not going to do the sport. So that was always a problem. Um, And it's something that, it's something from a gym owner's point of view um, and with Winter Warrior as well, something I really focused my efforts on of trying to show that it's not just about becoming the next Conor McGregor. The sport can give you so much, even if you never compete. If you just train, it's, it's, it's the the sport of MMA is the people on the mats training every single day in the amateur side. But absolutely, it helps. I mean, being in Australia, you know, we've had, you know, Mark Hunt, obviously, Robert yeah. Wittiker, Alex Volkanovski now. It's helping memberships, but there's still a big, you know, if you look at people that um will come in and join a gym because alex volkanovsky's won a title you're still talking about the people that will probably join anyway and it's just that nudge for them to go they're they're, they're into their martial arts they're watching the ufc but it's not it's you're not getting that crossover still you know the 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 mma the the mainstream media and still don't cover it enough um, new zealand's a little bit different you know Izzy over there he's made you know the ideal we've got six gyms over there to run the program and they've all they're just having the best time of their lives over there. The gyms, they're just packed. Yeah. There's there's some sort of, there's something in New Zealand that's special that way, I think. Um, they really embrace their their athletes, no matter what code they come from. Australia's not quite there yet. But yes, it definitely helps. But I think it's really important to understand the separation of professional fighting and the sport of mixed martial arts. And, you know, and that's something that I've been dealing with, um, being part of IMATH for the last couple of years. Well, um, building the amateur side here, getting governance, trying to get sport recognition, um, and building pathways for athletes that come from a gym but have nowhere else to go until they're at a point of stepping in the cage at a local show. That's that's three years away. You know, there's there's no sport in the world that you'd start and someone say, you know, if you take winter Warrior out of the, the equation. If you turn up to a gym and, you know, you want to, what's other sport in the world would you start? And the coach says to you, basically all you've got to do is drill for the next three years, and then you can actually put everything together and, and try it, which would be MMA's in a the cage. There's, there's, you know, if you did that in football, the coach says, you know, all you could do is keep the ball around and do drills. You can't actually play a game for three years. It's very hard. It's very hard to keep people in that sport retention wise. Um, and these are all the things that we're trying to do with IMAP. So, again, it's, it's great having all these superstars, um, but they don't necessarily help the amateur side like people would think. Um, it's still a struggle trying to build and get new people into a sport and give them pathways um, because, you know, the Con McGregor's is there, you know, there's 0.01 percenters. You know, you've got to basically give up your whole life to be someone like that.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I think, like, that's so that's so, so much information for me because I'm looking at it, and you know, you talked about Volkanovski and Whitaker and Mark Hunt, and I'm thinking, oh, it must be exploding in Australia, but it's really interesting to, to hear that it's not really filtered down the way no. that maybe a lot of people, including myself as a fan, would have expected. No um that's 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 kind of blown my mind yeah. a little bit um tell me a little bit about imaf um, what you do there and are you are you finding it um is there any resistance to what you're trying to do or are you finding it people are wanting to get on board and wanting to help with the progression <laughs> there's
1: resistance in everything i do <laughs> 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 literally it wouldn't feel the same if i did something that i didn't get resistance from um, from the first gym I opened in Sydney, I had people with placards out the front trying to get the gyms closed. Oh, no way. I my, you know, wow. just, when, I, when I started doing to Worry, I had uh, fighters and coaches emailing me saying, that, you know, this is a disgrace. You can't put people through. It's not, you're taking respect away from the fighters and what they do. And just people just don't see the big picture what you're trying to achieve when you do these things. But IMF, um, yes, there, there's been a little bit of pushback because... The sport has been going um, ungoverned, if you like, and coaches and and promoters doing their own thing for for a number of years in Australia. And then to then suddenly pull pull them in and say, look, we're gonna we're gonna put some governance into this, and we need you to tick these boxes. There's always going to be pushback, um, but it's it's definitely got a lot easier. I got involved three years ago. I was asked to come on as vice president in Australia um, <clears throat> because you know, they'd seen what I'd done with Winter Warrior and they thought I could help grow it in Australia, um, grow IMAF. And um, after sort of a, a few months, I recognised that uh, I'm very, very much. I, I have vision in 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 everything I do, and I want to implement things, and I, I want them done now, and I want to race, and I'd rather not sleep, and I'd rather make something happen. And and the, the people that were kind of running at the time were. Quite slow in that way and setting their ways. And they have been, they'd set the, the, the federation up here and it kind of been plodding along and not doing much. So um, I pushed to become president and I was voted in president a couple of years ago. And since then, I've been putting a lot of time and energy into it. Um, we've been running um, coaching accreditation courses now in Australia for uh, 18 months. We were one of the first ones in the world to do it, um, which I think is a huge importance for the sport. I mean, there's no other sport that, you know, you, parents, how can they trust um, someone to teach their kids if, if there's no formal qualification or check that, that you know, they've ticked certain boxes. Um, and also from an um, athlete's point of view as well, we want to be able to um, educate the coaches and continue to educate the coaches. So that's been a big part. You know, I've worked closely with um, Andrew Moshinov who's the technical director of IMF. Um, he's been involved with um, Olympic Sambo, Olympic um, uh, Judo as well. Um, so he's got some amazing um, coaching insights that I've really learned a lot from being involved And in. So I love that part, you know, and, and passing on that knowledge. Um, I had 60 coaches go through the program in the first 12 months and then COVID hit so we're going to kick off those again. Um, the national team will put a lot of time and effort into the national team. I've got some great coaches now. Um, Brian Eversoll is one of them. He's he's. I've brought him on as our head national coach. We've had some um, some good wins. We've we've rated fifth in the world now. Our national team, which is massive. So there's there's lots of things, but you know we're still not recognised as a sport in Australia. So there's no there's no um, there's no support from government. There's no funding from government. So everything you know, I I, I give up. You know, I don't care, but you know no one gets paid for, for it, you know. We, when we go away, we pay our own flights, you know, when we do things, it's, um, that's, that's where we go back to, you know, the Conor McGregors and the Wonder Rouseys owning all these millions and people think the sport is massive. But when you look at the grassroots and where the sport actually is, it's a, it's a daily grind, you know, it's, you know, I've got, I wanna take 20 athletes to the world championships in Kazakhstan in end of November, and um, I don't want to be able to fund those guys. I don't want them have to do fund me pages on Facebook, you know. So I've got to raise probably twenty grand to do that. Um, I'm lucky enough to be in a position of authority, and, and we went to Warrior. That you know, uh, we're, we're we're launching um, a scholarship program through Went to Warrior now. So um, my shareholders and my partners have, have come on board, and everyone that does Went to Warrior now. So if you're doing it in Ireland, there'll be a set amount of money that goes to the Federation, the Amateur Federation Ireland, that will then go towards funding their national team or youth programs. Um, and in Australia, because we have so many people doing the program over here, that's gonna be a, a huge contribution to the work I do here. But it's you know, nothing comes easy. There's is there's pushback at uh, every corner, you know, some coaches, some you know the the biggest one is you know is people still have that mentality of MMA isn't a a martial art it's a hybrid and you've got to have a jiu-jitsu coach you've got to have a Muay Thai coach you've got to have a wrestling coach where the sport's never going to grow that way and we're never going to get into the Olympics if we're seen as a, a mishmash sport at amateur level and and the biggest part of what we do is is prize prize fighting it's, we're not going to be recognised as a sport so having this, the coaching accreditation courses and, and teaching coaches from other styles how to adapt their system because jiu doesn't cross over straight into MMA. Muay Thai doesn't cross over to MMA. There's lots of, um, lots of adaptations needed. Um, so getting people to recognise that um, and look at us as a sport, as a martial art of our own is probably the biggest challenge that we have but we're definitely getting there. I mean, it's, um, we've, I've got lots of big plans in Australia. Um, I'm putting together a youth, uh, a youth Olympic program, a 10 year program, which, um, I'll work with coaches and athletes over the next 10 years to monitor and support them in the hope that we get into the Brisbane Olympics 2032. So i have got lots of plans that way. Um, but IMAP is something that I have a lot of belief and passion with because it's, it, that is the sport of MMA, you know, that's, that's what we need to be getting behind. Um, and um, that's where we, we can take kids from the age of 12 and and give them a pathway, a safe pathway of progression. And they could be the next Conor McGregor, but come through as a mixed martial artist in a governed sport with, with safety in mind, um, rather than, you know, you don't know what rules you're gonna find when you turn up to a show, you know, that's you can't have a sport that way you certainly have
0: your work cut out but um like Wimped to warrior you have big goals big ambitions yeah. you have the drive for it and what were a word you haven't used but i think it's very appropriate for you is sacrifice there's a lot of time sacrifice from yourself and from other people that i'm sure are supporting you to try and make all this stuff happen and it's only going to benefit the mma community um, around the world, specifically Australia and stuff, where you're getting involved, but certainly all over all over the world. Um, just to sort of wrap this one up, but it's been really, really good, and, and I'm conscious of the time. And I've already kept you a little bit later than what I told you I would keep you. But but, right. but Richie, when when a fighter goes up Wimper Warrior, so two two last questions for you. So at Wimper Warrior at the big event, and these guys that have trained this whole time, and they're getting ready to do their walkout are you there to give them any words of encouragement or do they have a coach or who tells them the last thing they hear before they walk down that aisle and get ready to fight? And how do you, how would that maybe help calm their nerves?
1: Well, the, the, the coaching program that I, I basically give to coaches, um, you know, as I talked before, there's progression in terms of getting them mentally ready, but um, there's also a part where we talk about um, visualization drills um, and whenever I go and visit a gym um, I try and do it where they're at least halfway through the program so they, they're either in the sparring section or they're close to finale or the is on their mind and, and the visualization drills are, are really important you know and I talk about um, trigger points you know being out the back and I get them to close their eyes and think about having their hands wrapped um, if they're on the card and, and they're number six number five goes out that's a huge trigger point your adrenaline's going to be going you're the fear, the fight or flight response will start kicking in, and basically getting them to a point where that's they're they're actually been through that process several times. You know, I try and get them to do do it every single day leading up to finale the week before, and go through their mind. And then um, the trigger point of being told you're coming out, and you get to the doors, and your walkout song. And and there's talks I do about with the walkout songs as well. It's not just a song; it's it's something that's gonna get you to a point where you're ready to fight, you know? And I tell them to never listen to that walkout song unless they're going through the, the visualization drills and to only listen to it when they visualize themselves, the doors open and walking towards the cage. So there's there's all these things that I try and get the coaches to instill and go through with their guys. Um, and then when I run the program, I'll visit, I talk about those um, because they're key is, is having been able to control your adrenaline um, And and at that point, you know, they they should be, the whole visualization Joy is is understanding that the nerves will be there and the the anxiety and they want to go for a piss five times and in the last 10 minutes, and that's fine. And everyone goes through it and understanding that. But when they hear that walkout music, they need to be at a point where that triggers, everything else goes and they're in fight mode. Um, And, you know, so that's in the program. Um, The coaches have it there. And then, you know, I can only hope that the coaches do that. I do touch base with the coaches throughout the program, but the coach will be there at the doors with them, you know, the hands on the back of the shoulder, they're giving them that last tip. And everyone has their own kind of um, whatever keywords, you know, as a coach, you, you get to know the person that's about to walk through the door and you know what they've been through and, and there'll be some sort of trigger that that coach will know to give that person uh, there's a, a woman a couple of weeks ago that I coached and she walked through, she was 51 years old. Um, wow. And, um, she, yeah, she was amazing. She, she had alopecia, but for the first half of the series, she wore a bandana and everyone thought she had cancer. and No one wanted to ask. And then she started spying and it ripped off and she's like, I'm just bald. You know, and uh, weighing, she wore a wig and then she took it off when she did the walkout. But, you know, she had kids and, and I knew her trigger word was the lioness you're a lioness, this person in the cage is trying to attack your kids. Be the lioness. And she was like, oh, but only the coach would know that. Yeah. You know, so there's so much I can do from um, being the international head coach. I can give them the tools, but the coach that's been through that journey with them is will know exactly what to say to them to get them to that point that they're ready. So, yeah. That's what was sorry. I've forgotten the last question. (laughs) I haven't asked it yet because, yeah, yeah, that one was
0: loaded. And I was just really interested in that, like, that ingrained mentality of what someone thinks. They walk down that aisle. I always joked around if I ever did something like that, I've already my song picked and all that sort of stuff. I just haven't quite got there
1: yet to sign up or do anything about it. it. The hardest thing with that, when I tell people, is staying focused. And I always tell my guys, is tell your friends and family not to come up to you when you walk into the cage, because we've gone through this process out the back of getting you focused and ready and, and you know, and basically dealing with your nerves. And then when your walkout music comes on, you're ready to fight and you don't want people coming up and taking you out of that zone. And then when you get in the cage, never look outside the cage, you squat down, you listen to your coach, your eyes stay in the cage. So the focus, and you can see the ones that lose focus, often lose the first round at least before the corner has time with them to get them refocused because it's so important. You, you can't, you're not in there to wave at your friends and family or your girlfriend, you're in there to do a job. But yeah, this the, the whole process of finale is, is really important. It sounds, it sounds
0: phenomenal. And obviously you've done a lot of work to get to this stage because you've covered every BS probably <laughs> on the way. And it brings me really, really nicely to, to my last question for you. You've had a season filmed and put on Fox Sport. You've had Coach Kavanaugh come on board. You've had shout-outs from Mark Hunt. You've been in London and you've been sharing the match with, with Royce Gracie and so on and so forth. And you, this, this answer, this question, it could be subject to change mm-hmm. as we go further down the line, you continue your journey. But do you have maybe the most proud moment of your journey so far? Is there one that sticks out? And if so, what would that be?
1: um yes i i i I think one that that had the biggest effect on me was my second series and it's and it's nothing to do with all the big names they've been great they've been you know they've been as a fan you know they've been amazing for me to have and as a coach as well having people coaches i really respect run my program but for me as a coach it's always about the impact i have on people and and the second series of Winter Warrior um, we had um, at, I mentioned it before, at Luna Park, which is a an amazing event in Sydney. And, and it's broken a lot of promoters because it's very expensive to put on. And if you don't reach sort of a thousand tickets, you lose money. and So I took a huge risk to do that. And this is a series that I was still the only person running doing Winter Warrior. So I'm the coach, I'm the promoter, I'm putting all these, the event together. So, um, having that event at Luna Park and, and selling it out, um, 1800 people when it was the biggest amateur event in Australian history. Um, and being able to put on an event like that, that people still talk about, um, that were involved with it. And seeing all my guys come out at that event. Um, I remember before before the kickoff, just seeing the cage there and. And knowing that it's sold out and knowing that in an hour's time, this place is going to be full of friends and family. Um, To watch these people that I trained, personally trained for, you know, five and a half months, that was probably the proudest moment. And it's one that I'll always look back on as as sort of um, like a catalyst because that particular series, um, it got so much... um, media coverage because it was such a big event and we had a lot of people there and I had over a thousand people register for the next series off that off that one event so that's for me as a coach which is what I always see myself I don't see myself as an entrepreneur or or a CEO I'm just a coach at the end of the day doing what I love that to me is probably the the biggest um, proudest moment in my career to date Um, but I'm gonna be on the list of people that get our sport into Olympics. That's my next goal. And um, I don't care if there's a list of a thousand people, if I'm the last one on the list, the work I'm doing now with Winter and IMAF is, um, uh, that's my goal. That's, I'll retire happily when um, MMA gets into Olympics and I can say I was a contributor.
0: Certainly big goals and I wish you all the best and then big goals, big aspirations. But like you said, if you didn't go through any hardship to get somewhere,
1: you wouldn't feel like you're doing it right. You've been synonymous
0: with hardship your whole life.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I wouldn't have got there, you know, it's, um, martial arts have given me the tools to do what I do now. Mm -hmm. And that's why I want to give back to the sport that's given me so much. Um, because, you know, I could have ended up in prison or something worse growing up in London and, and, the martial arts have, have provided for me and my family and and that's I want I want to be able to give that back to other people so
0: yeah certainly already are when you think about the amount of people that have came through WIMP to Warrior I think you know sometimes it's it's when you're so engrossed in trying to make it better and do more things sometimes I think it's nice to kind of look back and go wow when I'm sure you maybe have the stats somewhere of the amount of people that have came through all the programs if you've looked back I went well, wow, I've had an impact on X amount of people's lives. That's an
1: amazing, amazing achievement. Yeah. And it's I about think... 7,000, I think, so far. Wow. Yeah. 7, My 000. wife says to me all the time, just stop and think about what you've done. Because I'm, whenever I finish one project, I've got the next two in the pipeline. It's, um, it's just the way I am, unfortunately. It's, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Is there no days off. <laughs> No, very rarely. But, look, I'm blessed. I've got great I've got great support for my family. I've got a great team with Winter Warrior supportive and, and IMF. So yeah, we move on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I can see that and I'm excited to see what happens. But Richie, this has been an amazing conversation. I'm so glad we were able to connect. I'm looking forward yeah, to too. getting getting this out in May. Get letting more people hear about this for my friend back home who I'm not allowed to name you were talking about mm-hmm. doing Wimp the Warrior when you listen to this I'm telling you right now you've got to do it and stop procrastinating just get it yeah. done and exactly. um, but Richie honestly from the bottom of my heart thank you so much for giving me your time I understand how incredibly busy you must be you're at home you're working with the kids you have puppies you've all sorts going on <laughs> but you know what giving me just over an hour of your time I really do appreciate so thank you for coming on the show
1: listen the winter worry isn't anywhere without people that help support and give us a platform to tell people what we do so i appreciate what you're doing as well champ thank you
0: thank you for listening to the podcast i'm darren potts i was your host reminder give me a follow facebook twitter instagram youtube at the podcast i want to thank richie craney for coming on the show giving me just over one hour of his time thank you so much guys if you've enjoyed this podcast look out for the upcoming podcast as i said martin stapleton Jerry Struble Jr., Christian Navidad will be here as well, and the list goes on and on. But thank you so much for listening to the show, and have a great weekend.